Well, good morning again. Wow, that was responsive. That was more responsive than you guys were earlier, and I'm very thankful for that. So we are still on our Powerful People series, and uh, thank you guys for hanging with us last time, and uh, kind of we, a lot of it was review. It was all new stuff, but it was just really more kind of diagnosing, and I really wanted to get at just how kind of dark and insidious, because it, it, it just seems like, well, it's just whatever, and you're just kind of assessing your situation, and you don't realize how, how debilitating, really, getting in a victim mindset can be. So thanks for hanging with that. So today and probably next week, we're going to be flipping the script a little bit and getting a little bit more on the solution side. How do we not be a victim? How do we be, or just how do we be powerful people in general? But really kind of talking about not being the victim part. Uh, and uh, so I was telling Stephen last night, I said, Man, I was really hoping to kind of finish this up, but I'm looking at my slides as I was preparing this week, and like, I don't. We're not going to get through Joseph even today. And he's like, Joseph. He's like, Mary and Joseph or Genesis Joseph. And I'm like, Oh yeah, there's two Josephs, isn't there? I'm like, Joseph Jacobson. <laughs> Based on the the how they would have done names a, a few centuries ago around here. Uh, do you guys know the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, we're not going to tell it all to you today, but Father Abraham had many sons. <laughs> and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord. <laughs> Who would have thought that that would be your most involved that you would be this whole day? So that's the Abraham that we're, who we're talking about when we're singing those songs. He was, he's kind of really the father of our faith. It was credited, even though it's Old Testament, it was credited to him unto righteousness because he believed and he had faith, right? And uh, God, you know, showed up to him and said, you're going to have uh, uh, children as numerous as the stars in the sky and whatever. And so that's that story. And then his son was Isaac, Okay. And then Isaac's son was Jacob. And that's really where, and his name got changed to Israel, and that's where all the uh, Reuben and Levite, you guys ever heard of Levites? Levites, priests? That was from this, this Jacob's son, Levi. So Levi Jacobson was the, the priest guy, <laughs> right? Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? Have you ever heard of Judah? Judah was one of the people. Judah Jacobson was one of the other brothers, right? And so we're talking about Joseph Jacobson, right? He was, he was the youngest of the brothers with the exception of Benjamin, who was, who was the youngest. Joseph was the next youngest. And so uh, anything stand out in your mind about Joseph? Anything that you remember about Joseph? What, what would be a defining feature of him? Coat of many colors, yes. Sorry, we're not in class. You can just blurt it out. <laughs> he was a dreamer, absolutely. He was a dreamer. He had a coat of many colors. A few other of you said things that I could not decipher amidst all of the rabble, but he was hated. Yep, absolutely. So we're just going to kind of go real quick through the, through the story of Joseph and talk about a guy who really was a victim. And uh, I actually said this to someone earlier this week, and it just kind of got both of us thinking that he was a victim. He really, he was a legitimate victim of circumstances, and yet he never carried a victim mentality. And so I got really excited about talking about this, 
And then I really started diving into the scriptures and realized it doesn't tell you. I'm like, well, that's a bummer. How are do we preach a message on Joseph not having a victim mentality when it doesn't tell you really how he didn't do that? We know that he didn't, and so thankfully the Holy Spirit is really good at just kind of unlocking things, and hopefully you'll have that same thought after I get done with this, that we can glean some keys from the life of Joseph, how we can walk in thriving, powerful lives as God would intend us, as the Holy Spirit fills us, just like God intended, despite what is going on around us. Amen? Amen. Very good. So we know that Joseph, he was 17, kind of when we enter his story. He was 17 when he went out to the fields. His brothers were sheep herders, shepherds, right? And so Joseph went out to them, and uh, he uh, had this coat of many colors. I'm not sure this is an exact representation of Joseph, <laughs> but it's close enough for where we're going today. And uh, his brothers, you can see their grumbly looks on their face, and, and uh, because uh, he was the son of... Uh, uh, Rachel, and uh, just he was extra loved by his father. So whether that was appropriate or not, the, the deal is Joseph was kind of loved. He had this coat of many colors, and his brothers, you find in the story over and over again, and they hated him even more, <laughs> right? Things like that. And, and they hated him because of it, and they hated him even more, and they hated him even more. And he kept doing things that made him hate him even more, right? So he had these dreams. He had this encounter with God. And he had a couple different dreams. And he would come out and tell them. And it would just torque them off, right? Was it Joseph's fault that he had the dreams? No, these were God encounters that Joseph had. Great things, people that, things that people would pray for. Can Joseph help what was in the dreams? He couldn't, right? They were just... He didn't ask for the dreams. He didn't, he didn't choose what was in the dreams. And so now he's excited. He's 17 years old, right? He's got, he's got his new coat, and he's out telling his brothers about the dreams, about how all these different things, stars and sheaves and all these different things are going to bow, and he's going to be the, you know, the star or whatever. And I don't know how he told him that. We don't get to hear tone. That's why miscommunications can happen in text, right? We don't get to hear tone, body language. Well, the same thing here. We don't get to understand exactly how Joseph conveyed the message, but we know he was 17, and we know his brothers were not impressed. His brothers were not impressed. However that went down, his brothers were not impressed. And so they decided they're going to kill him. Well, that's drastic, right? You ever want to just beat your brother up or something? Anyone, have, anyone ever get in a fight with your brother and sister? Anyone ever? Okay, good. I'm not preaching to nobody that knows what's going on here. So that would be pretty normal. But they decide that they're going to kill him. Let's kill this dreamer. Like, wow, that is really drastic. So now we're, we're getting into now victimhood, right? Now, not that he's thinking like that, but we're seeing some very unfair and some very drastic things that are going to happen to Joseph. So they all decide together. They beat him up. They rip his coat off him. And uh, they decide Reuben is like, he's the voice of reason. He's like, hey, let, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in one of these cisterns. Now, some of you are old enough to know what a cistern is. I did not know until, I mean, not that I'm not old enough, but I just didn't know what one was. We had running water. So if you don't have running water, or even if you do have running water, sometimes in your house you have a cistern. It would collect water from, from the rain gutters or from different places, and that's where you'd get drinking water from. So they had these cisterns that were empty. They didn't have water in them, and they were out in the sheep pasture, and they were just mad. And so they said, let's throw Joseph in a cistern. Okay, So they were going to throw him in there. Reuben said, let's not kill him. 
I don't know, he's our own relative, let's not let his blood be on our hands. And fortunately, they decided, all right, let's do that. Threw him in there, and somehow Reuben disappeared. It doesn't really say where he went. And along came a band of Ishmaelites. I mean, like usual, right? <laughs> How many times in your life has a band of Ishmaelites come along? They're heading to Egypt, okay? And they're like, it doesn't tell us a lot about it, but they're like, okay, let's sell them to these guys. And apparently that was kosher back in those days. I don't know. You can just pull a guy out of a cistern. Like, if you're these Ishmaelites, I mean, these guys are just pulling this guy out of a cistern. Hey, you want to buy him? That's just kind of a weird... Like, we don't do that in America. Well, at least not in the circles that I run in. <laughs> you know, it's just, it seems kind of odd, but that's what happened. Yanked him out of this cistern and uh, said, he's for sale. And they're like, hey, word, we can make some more money. We're selling goods to the people in Egypt anyway, so he can go along with us. And that's kind of where we end uh, that chapter, 37, I think that is. And then we get chapter 38, uh, which is bizarre. And then uh, chapter 39 kind of starts out. uh, And it starts out with this, this verse. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. I highlighted those words to let you know This is a real scenario here. This is a real serious deal. Joseph really is in captivity. We read these stories and we forget about the human element of it. We forget about the just kind of the real life component. Think about one day you got the coolest coat in your family. God just showed up in your life, gave you a dream, right? You're out telling your brothers, not only are you beat up, we don't know how long he was in the cistern, you know, I'm assuming it wasn't real long, but we don't know that for sure. Been abandoned in a cistern. Oh, then you got rescued. Oh, but it's to be sold to this band of Ishmaelites who then in turn sold you to Egypt. What? Imagine what's going on in Joseph's mind right now. Started out, I mean, bake eggs, coffee, right? You know, toast, normal day. Dad says, hey, why don't you go check on the brothers? Have you, guys ever had, have you guys ever had one of those days where it started out like a normal day and the other shoe dropped and just like your whole day just unraveled? Nobody? Okay. Well, sometimes that happens. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't know about those, just, just hang on a little longer. You'll find one. Right? It just You thought today was going to just be a normal day. I don't like those. Because you're all excited and you got your hopes up and then one thing and it just... Like the bottom falls out, and just like 43 things just happen right in a row. I don't know if anybody of you can relate to that or not, but uh, a friend of mine had that happen the other day, so, but God showed up in the middle of it. So just this verse is just kind of highlighting that. He lost his home, right? What do we love? Like, how many, how many of you said, if walk in the door at night, I don't know, and you just like, you kick your shoes off, and you're like, <sighs> There's no place like where you kick your heels together. There's no place like home. And what is it about home that it's just another building? I've thought about that before. You know, when we've been at, you know, places for holidays or whatever, or you're on a youth trip or what. And it's not that you can't, because I'll find a comfortable chair sometimes. And it's not that you don't get to rest sometimes or, or after a big meal at, you know, holidays or whatever. But there's something about going back home. I don't know what it is about it, but you walk into your home and you're like, "Ah, imagine if that was ripped from you. No more routines, no more holidays, no more family, no more, no more everything that I knew, no more, where's, you know, where's my, 
you know, Johnny Be Good album, you know, like just like, I couldn't think of anything else. Like, where's my stuff? You know, just everything that he had in his life was just gone. He lost his family. He lost, he was, not only did he lose his family, he was betrayed. And not only did he get betrayed by them, they wanted to kill him. As he's riding over in this bumpy cart across the, the land going to Egypt, every bump, him being uncomfortable, and every mile, him thinking, they were, gonna, they were actually going to kill me. They, they really, my brothers, they, they really were going to kill me. And I heard Reuben talk him out of it. But they were going to, like, my brothers were going to kill me, processing that. You think he had some time to think? He had, he had a lot of time to think while he was sitting in this cart. I don't know how far Egypt was from there or how long it took him to get there. And not knowing the fear of the future, not knowing what's going to happen next. He had no hope of a good future. Like, he, he's done. He's not, like, the ones that would normally come to rescue him are the ones who were going to kill him and who eventually sold him. And he's like, we're not calling AAA. There's no Avengers, right? You know, Batman's not here. Like, that's it. I, like, I'm on my own. I don't know if there's a more worse experience in life. Like, we can get through tough things if someone's with us. But when we, when we have that realization, I'm on my own here. You ever had that? Your gut sinks and you just, oh, you get a kind of a lump in your throat. You're like, I've, like I have to figure this out. You might be stranded somewhere or, or whatever. No cell server. I didn't bring my cell phone with or whatever. I don't know if you can remember back to the 80s when we didn't have those things, you know? Like, I'm, I'm on my own. He, nowhere to turn. How many of us just have a, even a mediocre support system where we can call someone for advice? Man, I just think of the, just the list of people that I would call on any number of topics. And, hey, what do you think about this? Or how about this? And just getting feedback. He, he did not have that any longer. God spoke to him, the second to last one. He saw the opposite of what God spoke. God spoke, speaks this big dream to him, a couple of them, and just how God was going to do incredible things, and then the, the worst-case scenario happens. Like, we would, he would be like, well, worst case, I say this, and it doesn't come to pass, right? <laughs> and they're like, no, nah, hold on. Worst, like, hold on a second. Worst case, like, we try to kill you, and you get sold into slavery, Oh yeah, that is. I guess that is worse, isn't it? Have you ever had? You ever felt like God really told you something? You had this God encounter, had this amazing moment, and then the bottom falls out. And you're like, "What just happened here, God? I thought for sure you said this, and I'm seeing this is nothing like what I thought you were putting into my heart. And I was so sure. And sometimes we're quick to think, "Well, I must have missed God." Hang on for the rest of the story, right? And his life was no longer his own. I mean, think about this. Not only is he in Egypt, I mean, we read this, and oh, he had a coat of many colors, and then he was in Egypt, and we kind of, we just, we skip over what Joseph was thinking and feeling and walking through. He's a slave now. Sold into slavery. He was free. 17, had the tiger by the tail, right? God speaks a beautiful dream in his heart. And his family wants to kill him, but that gets avoided. He gets thrown in a pit. He gets lifted out of a pit. He gets sold into slavery. And now he's in a foreign country, doesn't know the customs, doesn't, you know, I don't know what, uh, how he could relate, doesn't have a support system, and is a slave. Victim, certainly. He is a victim, certainly. And uh, if we don't if you don't know the rest of the story, I'm going to reference it here, so I'll just clue you in. So 
things go okay for a little bit. We're going to talk about that. But then, uh, then more unfair things happen. He gets falsely accused. Anyone ever been accused of something that you didn't do? Anyone as a child ever get very upset when your parents would accuse you and it wasn't you and it wasn't really your fault? That's frustrating. Uh, just like... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that would have been frustrating had I ever experienced that. <laughs> if you don't know me well enough to know, that would be my parents saying, yeah, you always were guilty, and it really was true. <laughs> and that's really true. I <laughs> Let's just say it was a rough go for a few years, you know, 18 or so. So, uh, so, so here's Joseph. So he gets accused, you know, of, of uh, trying to attack a woman, you know, whatever, the, the wife of the guy he's living with there. And, and uh, so that kind of goes by the wayside. He gets in, thrown in prison. So he's in prison for a few years, unjustly in prison, and helps these other guys out. And they're going to get him out of prison, and they forget about him as well. Well, one gets killed, and the, the other one forgets about him. And more, like more true victim more true victim circumstances. And yet Joseph maintained this position of power and life and productivity. How did he do that? So that's the question today. How did Joseph navigate the truly, not imagine, but the truly terrible things happening in his life without becoming a victim, without embracing, wow, woe is me. This is who I am. Oh, things are falling apart. Oh, my, wow. How did he get through all of that? Because it kept happening. But we know the end of the story. But see, that's our disadvantage. That's our disadvantage. We're looking at the life of Joseph from the end of the story, looking back. Imagine being from Joseph's perspective. He had no idea how this story was going to end. And yet he walked through this. So I'm going to give you what I think are some keys, or at least a key today. Number one, he had a great awareness of God's presence. Huh? Really? How does, does that help? Let's just walk through this a little bit. He had a great awareness of God's presence, and I think that was the first key that allowed Joseph to walk through these horrible things that were happening to him and still maintain focus, still keep his heart in the right place, still keep his head in the right place. So this verse says, this is the very next verse, so Joseph was taken down to Egypt. That's the first verse we read. Very next verse, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that, what? Saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. All right, next, this is the next section of scripture. Joseph's master, this is when he's in prison. Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. All right, this is the third time we see in this story. So first time was in Potiphar's house. This time he's in prison now. All right, a whole nother set of circumstances. Now he's thrown in prison. Not only is he a slave, he's thrown in prison. And yet God is with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all of those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. This is the last verse in this section. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because why? The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph had this, this relationship, this awareness, this, this uh, sense of God's presence, enough so that other people saw it. 
You guys know a New Testament story like that? When miracles were happening, it says that they took note that they had been with Jesus. Right? Are we with God in the sense that, that people recognize that we've been with Jesus? See, people recognized this tangible presence of God on Joseph's life. They recognized that, that there was more than human things going on here. They recognized that there was more than just a, a charisma that jo- Joseph carried in himself. He said he was handsome, but he was more than just a, a good-looking face. There was more going on, and, and multiple people recognized that in Joseph's life. Is, is, are people recognizing the presence of God in my life? Are people recognizing the presence of God in your life? Do they see that the Lord is with you? Or do you have to scream at them and tell them? (laughs) Right? Are they sensing without me even saying anything the character and nature of God within me? And that's just, that's my prayer. God, your presence. Your presence in this place. Your presence in my heart. Your presence in my family. God, let your presence go with us. Let it be tangible. Let it be felt. Let it be seen. And I just feel like Joseph walked in that. And we see in the scripture that other people noticed it. So we know that that's true. We know that that happened. And I want you to see this. Joseph's awareness of God's presence had nothing to do with his situation and his circumstances. I'm going to read that again. Follow along with me. Let's take our eyes, plaster them on the screen, and read this. Joseph's awareness, say awareness. His awareness of God's presence had nothing to do with his situation and his circumstances. The first time something bad in my life happens that I get overwhelmed, what is my first response? Do you know it? God, where are you? Just hang on that for a second. Just, just let that just, just marinate in your heart. Because if you're anything like me, if you've gone through a tough time, that's been the cry of your heart. God, where are you in this? Something goes bad, and my response is, but God, wherever you are, what is going on here? And so we get a glimpse into Joseph's life, and we see the most horrible circumstances you could come up with. Betrayal and attempted murder and sold into slavery and now a prisoner. And Joseph kept this awareness. He's like, hmm, I mean, we don't have this recorded, but, well, this stinks, but God, you're with me. He had this awareness of God's presence. So that is much better than, God, where are you? Keeping this sense of God with me, no matter what I'm going through, is critical to walking as a powerful person. It's critical. It is critical if you're going to do it in the biblical sense. Now, if you want to put a definition, I'm putting a biblical definition on powerful people. I'm not talking about personality or money. I'm talking about a biblical, spirit-filled, powerful person who is able to produce fruit and see an effect of the kingdom of God advancing in their life. That's what we're talking about. It is vital to have an accurate and a robust theology of God's presence. We need to really get, because where do we get our idea about is God with me? And I see, I love, I absolutely love being charismatic. I actually like our, our, our flavor of Christianity or whatever you want to call it. Um, 
where we, we love and embrace the expression of the Holy Spirit. We love vibrant worship, right? We love all that kind of stuff as charismatics or Pentecostals, whatever you want to label you want to put on us. Uh, really believe that the Holy Spirit is doing incredible things today, believing in the gifts of the Spirit and the flowing of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that can be a downfall for us is that we get so used to being in this and, and this would be one of the criticisms, and I think in, in a few cases it's rightly so, we get, we get so used to being in that kind of environment that if we're not, quote-unquote, feeling God, well, then something's wrong, right? God must have vacated the premises. God, like, we kind of weigh everything, and that's kind of an overstatement, but we tend to weigh things based upon feelings and emotions because we love that about God because we, we believe God does interact with us. He does speak to us. He does speak through us. Man, he, the gifts of God can be power. I can pray for someone, and man, things happen. People get healed. God shows up. You know, they cry, and we hug, and it's, right? It's great. And then I go through mundane life sometimes and bad things happen and I, hold on. Is he over here? Is God, is God over here? I'm not feeling it right now. Now again, this is kind of an a over, overstatement of what we would go through, but, but that can happen. The danger of that can happen. So we need, we need our theology from the word of God about God being with us and and as much as we love to feel things, there's times you're just not going to feel things. What you're going to feel is <laughs> left alone. What you're going to feel is destitute. What you're going to feel, sometimes you just can't go by your feelings, can you? Right. Amen. So, unfortunately, this is so powerful. We sometimes put God's nature, God's character, and God's nearness on trial based upon how we feel about what we're experiencing. Man, if you're not saying ouch right now, I don't know if you're either dead or checked out. I don't know. Like, this is so real. I'm going to judge God. I'm going to judge how he thinks about me. I'm going to judge his character. I'm going to judge whether he's good or not. I'm going to put him on trial based on, God, you must not be the good God that I've heard about because this really stinks right now, and you're not doing anything to change it. Now, none of you guys would do that. You guys are so cute and innocent, Right? But I'm just saying, the rest of us, we might do that on occasion. And we have this tendency to want to say, all right, next, bring God in. We're going to put him on trial. I'm not feeling like this is going how it's supposed to be. So God, you're it. You're the problem in my life, right? The, the Bible says in Proverbs, a fool's heart rages against, against God, and yet his own folly ruins his life. Sometimes that's our own mess. Sometimes it's just what we're walking through. Joseph didn't have anything to do with this. And yet he didn't rage against God that we know of. He kept this awareness of God's presence. And so I don't want to have to put God on trial based on what my emotions are doing. How silly is that? How foolish is that? And yet we, I'm, wait, don't run out of here. We all do it. <laughs> In case you didn't know, you probably have done it, right? We all this is what I'm feeling. I don't like it. And so, God, I'm, I'm pointing my finger in your direction some way. We might kind of do an end around or do it subtly, but we do that. So listen to this. A great way to get tricked into victim thinking is to believe that God is with us when we're blessed and happy, and he's not with us when things are difficult. That's a bad line of thinking, guys. Don't, don't get sucked into that, because then if things aren't going well, then God must not be with me. Well, then I really am on my own. Oh, then woe is me, right? And the spiral begins, and I start to adopt that. 
ah, I can't do anything about it anyways. One of the most empowering truths of God's word is that God is with us. Let me run through. We're going to go shotgun style fast here, all right? We're going to show you this from scripture. And I, I didn't have these in originally. And then I, I'm like, you know what? We're just going to pound these verses. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear. For I am what? No, say it out loud. Thank you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them, for the Lord your God goes what? With you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Does that sound familiar? We know that, and that's also in Hebrews. So that's a New Testament, it's an Old Testament verse that, that gets brought into the New Testament. That verse is for you. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Psalm 23, we know this one. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wing of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Do you think that about covers everywhere? Is if we missed anything with that verse, that set of scripture, last one. I love this one. You guys know me. I say it every Christmas. I just, oh, this, I love this, this verse. I love that word, Emmanuel. Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us which means God with us. Look at this, guys. How would you live your life differently if you really believed that God was with you? If you really had that rich, robust theology. I mean, that was just a pile of verses. There's more. Like if the word of God really is truth in our life, if the word of God really is the number one source informing our hearts and our minds of how to act and interact with this world as a Christ follower, if it's our primary source of information, and we just read all those verses, then regardless of how I feel, I know God's with me. What would happen if I really believed that? If I really started walking out this life and I knew that God is with me. <laughs> exactly. We might see some miracles. Any other thoughts? How might we live our lives differently if we really believed that God was with us? Anyone ever been scared to do something before? But you're like, go with me. Right? Our kids taking garbage down to the dumpster at night. Right? It's dark down there. Scary. Go with me. Right? Scary things. Going up to the counter to ask for more hot sauce or whatever. Go with me. That's me. <laughs> it's a true story. I hate it. I always make Marnie do it. Uh, I mean, I ask my wife, and she graciously does it. But we, what, what's, what's the big deal about You're still doing it. You're still going down to the dumpster. You're still walking through the alleyway. You're still... But somehow having someone with you 
makes a difference. I, I would say we'd probably have a lot more courage, wouldn't we? We'd probably have a lot more boldness. We'd probably, hang hold on, this, not talking about you, talking about your neighbor. We'd probably have a lot more holiness. Oh, God's watching. What, what if we had this truth? No, he's, he's with us. Man, I want to live my life in a way that is honoring to him and glorifying him. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Let's hit this next one real quick. I don't know if we'll get all the way through it, but he had a great awareness of God's presence. And if we think about the story of Joseph Jacobson, most of you are going to think about this one point. If you ever heard a message on it, it's most often on this point. Uh, he walked in integrity and, and in God's character. Um, he had this sense of God being with him. That's, so that's, that's kind of what I was alluding to. When God's with you, and you know that, then you live your life pleasing to the one that's with you, right? We're serving him. We're, we're walking in truth, but we're also walking in holiness. We're walking in love, but we're also walking in repentance. We're walking in, in honor. We're walking in, in, in sinlessness to the best of our ability. So we read this verse in Genesis 39.9, and uh, this, is, this is the classic verse if we're talking about Joseph. Potiphar's wife Joseph was in the house all the time. Potiphar's wife uh, thought he was hunky and uh, thought that something should happen, a little hanky-panky there. And uh, Joseph's like, nope, not having it, not doing it, not even thinking about it. And this is the verse that we would normally turn to. And uh, he said, no one in this house is greater than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? See, when God's with you, you recognize that, hmm, maybe this is a good opportunity for upward mobility. Maybe this is a great opportunity. You know, maybe, she's, yeah, I think he's not treating her right, anyway, right? You don't think like that because you're like, oh, yeah, adultery. Hello, right? Hello. God is with him, and he, there's no way he's doing this. And so he's got this sense of, of honor for God and for God's principles. But I want to I just pick apart this, this life of integrity that Joseph led and this, this sense of the character of God in his life. Look at this one. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Bet you've all skimmed over that a hundred times, hopefully thousands. That just hit me. I'm like, whoa, Joseph is living there right? It's, it's one thing when I'm over here. It's one thing when you've heard about it before. It's another thing when I'm here, right? Jeez. <laughs> Kill the baby. It's, it's okay, folks. It's, a, it's not a real child. You get to, I'm not trying to be gross. You get to see me. You get to smell me. You get, to, you get a sense of, right? You get to know me better than you would want to right? When someone's in your house, when someone's living, you get to see areas of their life that you wouldn't see normally. You get to see how they react in different, and even though he was a slave, he interacted with all these other people. You get to see how he wakes up in the morning, what his routine is, how he treats someone that's in the bathroom when he needs to go, right? 
You get to see how he handles his mealtime, how he structures his life, how he treats people if there was any lesser than him. You get to see, right? Right, Adam and Abby? You get to see. <laughs> Not sure what's going on over there, but we need an intervention, I think. So I love that this verse lets us in that that. This, this is the whole section there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. In the closeness of their proximity, I like what I see. And that, this, this integrity of Joseph's life created a platform for blessing. This consistency of walking in the character of God created a wholeness, and that's what integrity means, this wholeness in him. that It's, it's the same Monday or Thursday. It's the same nine at night or nine in the morning. It's, it's Joseph is Joseph no matter when you find him. All right, let's look at a verse in the prison. Joseph's master took him in prison, uh, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness, granted him, here's the same phrase, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So we're seeing this same integrity, this same, God, I know you're near, and I know you're unchanging. And so I want my life to line up with your character. Right? God was near, and yet Joseph responded by saying, I'm going to live with integrity because you're near. Like, I think those two things work together. They're separate things, but I think that that's what inspired Joseph to maintain that kind of integrity because he knew God was near. He was convinced God was with him. And because of that, there was this continual blessing that went on. So Joseph's character remained consistent, regardless of whether he was in luxury or in a prison cell or in a king's court. Hmm. He was consistent. Guys, that's what integrity is. It's wholeness. It's not fragmented life. It's not incompleteness. And that's going to keep you from being a victim because you are going to be who you are. And you're going to walk in the character of God, and you're not going to have this false identity about yourself because you're you're vacillating. Um, and it and it, I love this. We see sometimes that that people that maybe even they get thrown into a situation, and we see cracks in their integrity that we didn't know were there, and sometimes for our own hearts. And yeah, if, that, if anything wants to make you vomit, I mean, that, that will. Just finding cracks in your own heart where you would compromise, where you didn't think you ever would. And uh, I love that the life of Joseph, it was the same. No matter what, whether things were going well and he was really being blessed of the Lord or he's unfairly thrown. And like, remember, the starting point of this story is betrayal, near death, and slavery, right? But no matter at any point in this story, we see the same character of God in him. And here's, here's the key to that. Here's, here's the key to th- Large victories and large defeats are seldom what they seem. They're most often the byproduct of a thousand tiny moments that came before them. I don't know if there could be a more truer statement than this. It is the way we're living our life on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday and on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday is going to give us that huge victory that everybody sees on Friday. 
or the big, oh, what happened? All of a sudden, he just, now he doesn't even, like, man, 2020 was, that was something. But 2019, for crying out loud, if you're in the church world, everybody, all these big name famous people, they're just, yeah, I don't even believe in God anymore. It was just, it was, 2019 was one of those years. And you go, like, you just wake up one morning and decide that I'm divorcing my wife and I'm not going to believe in God anymore. Like that, I just, how do you get there? You don't get there by doing that on Saturday morning. You get there by months or years of erosion, little things, little compromises, little tiny things. And same is true on the victory side. You see someone that comes up a big, against a big adversity and they sail right through it. And you're like, I wish I could be as strong as them. And they would be the first to tell you, you know what? It, this, this strength started eight years ago when I just got a, a grumpy phone call from someone. And I decided then that, no, I'm going to walk in integrity. I'm not, I'm not going to, right? And then it happened the next week. And then something else happened the next week. And these were all little things. But as I stewarded these little moments, then the big one came up and this character was already in me. That's what they would tell you if I'm having any guess of who they are. Joseph lived his life in full view. We're going to end here. I've got one, one more verse as we close out. People saw that integrity. They saw that God was with him because he lived exposed. He wasn't one way with one group of people and another way with another group of people. He lived in that integrity of character. That kept him to be a powerful person because he didn't always have to come up with another story or try to explain himself to these people. Like, he was who he was. And he lived out his life where people could see that. And we, we already saw in the story that they recognized the, the power and presence of God on his life. Last verse for today, a New Testament verse. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Live in full view. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, oh, sounds like the Joseph story, they will see your honorable behavior. And they will, they will give honor to God when he judges the world. You walking with consistent character, according to this verse, could be the hook that changes people's lives on the day of judgment. Wow. We think about walking in integrity. I'm just about done. Walking in integrity is keeping me safe, and it is. But you walking in that character of God and the nearness of God might just be the thing that pulls them into the kingdom. That's powerful. That's powerful. Look at somebody say, that's good stuff. Now, I hope you didn't lie. Let's pray. Lord, I bless these people today. And I just pray, God, just for this, this overwhelming awareness that comes from the truth of the Word of God, that you are with us and that we can respond by walking in integrity and character. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit is in us to help us to do that. And we bless uh, this group of people today. Give us a great week in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen.